Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. What the f*** are you doing? It's time for Trend Lightly. No, God, please, no, no! With America's sweetheart. With America's sweetheart. Oh, my God! The Queen the of Glendale. Glendale. Who are you? The Irish-American tornado. Surprise, motherfucker! Molly McAleer. Molly McAleer. Welcome back to Trend Lightly. I'm Molly McAleer, and with me as always is my co-host, Tiffany Maddox. Hey, girl. Hey, and I just want to say, Dobre došli na nashte bulgarski slušateli. Okay? That's what I want to say. <laughs> That's like my jaws on the floor. That was incredible. I know that you're addressing our Bulgarian listeners because, Big guys, time. we are the number one entertainment news podcast in Bulgaria. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have that on my bucket list for 2021, but now it's here. I don't know if I ever want to let go of that. I mean, I'll take it, you know, definitely. What a lovely surprise. So to all of my Bulgarian brothers and sisters out there, I hope we keep doing it for you. You know, if not, maybe let some of your neighbors know in other countries and maybe there'll be some commonalities there. I don't know, but we appreciate you and, you know, shout out. I wouldn't want to trend anywhere else. That's what I'll say. (laughs) And, you know, imagine my delight and surprise when I was getting my nails done this weekend and the lady who was doing my nails is not my normal lady, but she was Bulgarian. And I was like, do you know? Do you listen? Do you want me to sign something? Definitely, like, you're probably very famous with her grandchildren. She did a very wonderful job as well. Like my nails look so beautiful. So I think like on some level, she knows, she knows. And I know she knows. I just today I was discussing daylight savings because it's a Sunday here and we just switched. We fell back and a friend of mine was bitching about daylight savings as we all do. And I got into a little accidental conversation with this guy who was kept talking about us like, you know, oh, us Americans have a hard time with daylight savings too. And I like, wasn't really like following what the fuck he was saying. And I was just like, haha, LOL or whatever. You know how I do. And then he said to me, like, by the way, like, are you from Bulgaria? Because I've been doing some inside joke with my friends about like guys from the Baltic sea. (laughs) I wrote back, like, first of all, like I wouldn't volunteer that, you know, (laughs) like, I wouldn't ever say like, hey, my friends and I have been making fun of people from your country. <laughs> but listen, I also I also like to sometimes disclose inside jokes inappropriately. And I just wrote back, I was like, no, man, I'm from Boston. I'm just like very popular with the Bulgarians because we both have, as you should, updated our Twitter profiles to 
reflect that we are the hosts of the number one entertainment news podcast in Bulgaria. I mean, we're like, we're Maria Menudos. <laughs> I um, I changed the bio and then I sent a screenshot to my dear, dear, sweet husband. And, and then I listened to him read it like while I was on the phone to him and he lost his mind. Like, completely, <laughs> like It just like, it took him by surprise. It was like the funniest thing. And I was like, check this out. <laughs> Because it's a fact. I mean, it is true. It's fact. It's not a lie. It's a fact. Yeah. No, absolutely. It does sound like a Molly lie, though. It does sound like something <laughs> you might say. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm going to Bulgaria to accept a podcasting award. That absolutely <laughs> sounds like a weird thing that I would absolutely do, but sounds like a terrible pathological lie. Um, yeah. Tiffany, is there anything trending with you this week? I thought I would ask this. Oh, like what's trending internally in my universe? Yeah, like I wanted to give a, a shout out to Almond M&M's. Oh. I had them for the first time this week and they are beyond. And I love a peanut M&M, huge yeah. fan my whole life. But these salted M&M's, or no, I guess they're kind of salted almonds. They're incredible. They're incredible. Can't recommend them enough. That sounds delicious. Gluten I love an free. almond. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, classic. I found my way onto like a very, I love when you find your way into a very niche specific part of TikTok. For me, like the thing I'm getting served a lot of and I'm very much enjoying is people going to get weaves and wigs installed. And then the person doing the installing, doing a voiceover afterwards, where it's just so like the comments are just so out, like out of pocket. So this like, there's always like some really lovely lady getting like her hair done. And the person doing the voiceover is like infuriated with the <laughs> fact that they've had to do someone's hair. And I've just, I've, uh, that's what I've been watching. Is like it, consistently. Is it their account? Like the hairdresser is on yes. their account doing? Oh, okay. I didn't know yeah. if it was like the person was in on the bit. Yeah. I think they must like, they must know that that's just what happens but it's usually like that I opened one earlier and the guy like begins the TikTok with this like <sighs> okay so like it's just like a big sigh <laughs> and then him calling like you know people getting their their wigs washed and put on and him calling the wigs ratty it's like it's so delightful because they always look so incredible when it's done and they look so snatched and these people are clearly like masters of their crafts but the price of entry is you have to be prepared to be insulted on TikTok to have like a really excellent weave. And I, I live for that. It could be a fetish. It could be. Or maybe like the hairdresser is selling these videos. And so they're in on the bit. Maybe it's not their fetish, but they know, okay, she's going to give me a discount because she uses these as humiliation porn. <laughs> yes. So this leads perfectly into our first story. Guys, I have to address this. Every week I I threaten Tiffany lightly that (laughs) I I have to talk about Taylor Swift this week because being a Swifty the last, you know, year and a half has been fucking exhausting. Like I actually am one of the few people that doesn't think that there wasn't enough time between lover and folklore. Like I was – the lover era wasn't my most exciting one because I'm a, I'm a rep bitch. You know what I mean? So it was a hard, it was a hard left for me, but I, you know, I just have become completely obsessed over the last year and a half. And I was always sort of like, I, I really got into Taylor Swift through conspiracy theories. And then I just 
became completely obsessed with her music. Although I think I was like a rep bitch anyway. Like I think that I had found it before I'd gotten into the conspiracy theories. Mm. Anyway, all that is to say that the next week of our lives is going to be fucking hell. Taylor Swift is releasing Red Taylor's version. She's also coming out with a 13-minute film, short film, based on All Too Red, the 10-minute version. The movie runs 13 minutes, of course. She's going to be on Jimmy Fallon. She's going to be on Seth Meyers. She's going to be on Seth Meyers 35 minutes after Red hits the Spotify store or whatever. Like, it's she's doing a TV appearance in the middle of release night, which is insane to begin with. Then she's going to do SNL the next night. She keeps saying, like, I can't wait to celebrate with you. Like, it's it seems very loaded. We also are following all of her little, like, emojis she's been dropping. And, of course, the squirrel Halloween costume means something because the thing that she was filming at her house two weeks ago was called Acorn. Like, it's – I know every time I tweet about Taylor Swift, and I, I always feel like I tweet in a way that is so inherently Boston, which is that – I'm like, she's fucking sick. Like, I'm very mean about her on Twitter, but like in a way that to me is quite obviously love. Very affectionate. I will tweet something. Like today I tweeted that she was a sick motherfucker when I found out the vehicle that we see in the trailer for the all too well 10 minute version short film is a car that was made in 1989. Okay. It's too much. All right. It's It's too too much. And I care too much. And I feel like I spend so much money on this and I spend so much brain space and I'm doing it all the time and I couldn't love it anymore, but I fucking resent her. I can't help it. <laughs> May I, listen, as a Beyonce stan who hasn't had so much as a fucking breadcrumb in four years. Right. <laughs> I'm sat on the sidelines like, you fucking, like, you fucking what? Like, imagine being a stan for something where the person that you enjoy actually gives you anything. Anything like, and oh, everything. It must be nice for you. It must be nice to be you. Because meanwhile, there are some of us out here who are in a drought and we would love any one of those things. And all Beyonce keeps doing is giving us fucking clothes that we don't want to wear. Right. She's so, giving like, you a ugh. leisure wear that's hard to buy and even exactly. difficult to wear. <laughs> Like it's none of it. That's the thing with Ivy Park is I love the idea, but it's not wearable for most people. It's not. It's really not. And I, it's like every time she drops something, I have to go, and then I know I'm not going to buy anything, and I have to, and then I have to like post rationalize. Like if I had to buy something, what would I buy? Right. And then I almost talk myself into buying a pair of fucking sky blue like capri leggings that's got the stench of Tina Knowles all over them. And then I, I have to talk Tina. myself out of it. I, I live for Tina, but like her fashion presence in Beyonce's life of life has been undeniable and not always for the best. And, you know, we're just, we're drowning out here. So I'm glad that Taylor has given you more than you can handle. Listen, the, the worst part of it is, is that she is just one of many people that I'm like way overly involved with, <laughs> you know, being a, a multi artist Stan is a full-time job And I want to just point out really quickly that I was the, as we referred to me, the queen of indie sleaze. I wouldn't even take that, but you said that, right? I used to be fucking cool. I don't know what it is. I just got to an age where I was like, okay, like denying 
probably the best singer-songwriter of our generation and certainly the most successful as not doing me any favors. So I leaned in and maybe I leaned a little too hard. I have an obsessive personality (laughs) and I don't know, like maybe there'll be a diagnosis someday. So this week, my thing that I'm I'm so excited has finally made it to the mainstream is a theory that I've had for a while and I've gotten yelled at many times. Like anytime I've brought it up, I've been yelled at, which is just the a day in the life of, of a Swifty. I made <laughs> a I made a TikTok this morning, a very rare TikTok about a little loophole in the storytelling behind one of the songs. And the whole thing was just braced with like defensive behavior of me being like, I know you guys are going to kill me. Like, I'm not going to say anymore. (laughs) But people have often pointed out that it's so like random that Taylor has a pair of feet, her own little feet on the actual CD cover, like the, when you open the disc, it's like the picture on the actual CD. It's her feet. Mm. And I've always been like, guys, it's not that difficult to figure out. Like it's either she innocently wanted to put feet on her album because that was sort of like a Tumblr-esque aesthetic of the time. It's very MySpace, you know, to have a little picture of your feet, innocent Mm -hmm. at 16. And I'm guessing either like that perv ass weirdo, Scott Borchetta, or someone was like, yeah, Taylor, let's do the feet one because that's money, baby. It's money. It really is. And they were all about- such a good show. They were about moving units, right? Especially for that first CD. And so- Yeah, I I definitely, anytime I brought that up, it's like, no, Taylor picks everything herself. I'm like, okay, so then she has a foot fetish. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, at the end of the day, there's definitely someone who had to have mentioned that this is, like, a thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel that she is very, very smart with her marketing. Everything she does is very intentional. And finally, there was another queen out there, Tick Marrow. She is a Swifty and she decided to be brave and stand up and speak about this. So I'm going to play her TikTok first. So just to quickly explain, this is Taylor showing off um, the interior of the red vinyl so everyone knows they're getting this four vinyl thing it was 64 fucking dollars <laughs> i say bitterly like i know i could sense that from the tone of your voice <laughs> no because it's like easily like 200 dollars in vinyl alone this year but then i can't stop buying merch and i cannot stop buying like i mean i signed up for fucking disney plus and i've been passively taking a hit on that every month because i'm afraid to cancel it in case she drops something again which is like mm-hmm. an insane mentality that's me and Beyonce, baby. Like, yeah. I've been paying for Disney Plus just because of The Black is King, which I've only watched once, so. It's like, girl, I'm I'm throwing. I'm throwing easily 12 hundo. Let's be for, for you, 13 hundo, okay, into you <laughs> this year. And uh, it's starting to hurt, baby. So my thing <laughs> is just like, you know, okay, $64 for Red Taylor's version. You got to do it. 10 minute all too well. So, yeah, she is, like, in just a black turtleneck, classic red era, red lip, jeans, and then bare feet with painted red toenails. Mm. Okay. 
back to back to the video. I understood the assignment. I think it's about time that we Swifties just acknowledge that there have been too many instances over the many, many years of Taylor Swift having a social media presence in which her feet are like a huge part of it. At this point, it is literally impossible that she doesn't know about posting your bare feet on the internet. At this point, we have to accept one of three possibilities. One, that she just is into foot stuff. B, that she just pretends it doesn't exist and ignores it. Or C, that she purposefully uses her feet to drive traffic to her videos via sexy feet comments. And we just have to accept that there's like a 33.33 repeating chance that Taylor Swift foot. Yeah. Well, Tech Mara there being the Ed, Sw Ed Snowden of Swift Talk, just Absolutely. fully blowing the whistle. Yeah. A brave individual. Brave. And saying what needed to be said, which is that, you know, there's all this debate that happens in the Swifty universe about what's on the table, what's not on the table, what Taylor would appreciate. And there's so much like infighting and bullying. Like, of course, I'm not a part of that, but I don't want to be a target of it at any point but at the same time I need to talk about this okay I've gone completely mentally ill and I keep buying <laughs> records and like to, you know to your point about Beyonce yes I bought the $150 lemonade set because I you know we don't get a lot and thankfully no. for both of them when you see them live it's worth every fucking penny like totally. yeah. Beyonce gives you a full-blown like career motivation lecture just through how mm -hmm. she like executes a show it it is it is school but yeah so I'm I'm thinking less that so the, anyway the whole thing is that they will say like you know Taylor wouldn't put her feet on there and I'm like why because you're a prude like Taylor Swift <laughs> absolutely has sex have you heard the song dress have you heard that <laughs> off of reputation she has adult sex okay <laughs> But then, like, they're like, well, like, I don't think she would do that because of X, Y, Z. And it's like, dude, Taylor Swift is a goddamn genius, and she's a fucking freak. And I would not be surprised if at 16 years old she knew that the only part of her body she could exploit was her feet, and she did that. Yeah. <laughs> she's genius. So in a way, I kind of, like, I can't stand how Swifties, like, take away from each other's fun. Because I, I don't think Taylor's ever asked any of you to do that. No, and that is the most joyful thing sometimes about stan culture is just the wild shit that gets thrown away, thrown between, you know, various different facets of a community when you're waiting for something to drop. Like you've got to amuse yourselves. So you might as well throw some wild shit out there. Well, okay. So what was your, tell me about your favorite stan moment that you've seen online in all your years of standing? Oh man, it's it's really, it's really challenging. I mean, as I said, I am a Beyonce stan and I occasionally will, like I'll put out into the universe how displeased I am with her for giving me nothing, giving me nothing, giving me no crumbs, giving me not a single thing, like leaving me out to dry. And I will sometimes like flirt with like trying to stand for something else. But like at this point, it is an abusive relationship and I am in it. And so I cannot leave yet. But I do love that 
Beyonce stuff is sort of because there's so much gap because she hasn't been saying anything, releasing anything. All she, all she does on her website is bloody birthday announcements. So like Beyonce's website, Beyonce.com is basically celebritybirthdays.com as far as I can tell. So then like wild shit gets thrown around. But um, I've been getting a lot of the same old rehash stuff at the moment about Beyonce Illuminati, including doing frame by frames of her Coachella performance to show her morphing into a demon. And I interacted with it and now that's all I'm getting. So I'm in that. I mean, I listen, it's so attractive. Like those theories are so attractive. I would That's love so to fun. believe. And they always are sacrificing babies to have a hit record. I would love to believe that. That's like totally up my alley. A hundred percent. It's not that she is an incredibly hardworking, incredibly talented performer. <laughs> it is that she's made a deal with the devil. I do also love that my favorite blind item of hers is the one where her and Jay-Z had a like Eastern European surrogate baby farm. Oh, okay. That they were that they were using that they would basically handpick these surrogates and breed children for like wealthy clientele. Like I guess is like a side hustle, like passive income or something. Oh, and I was yeah. like, I don't know if they need it. <laughs> I don't know. Also, like I can't imagine. Like I don't. It's just why would if you're Beyonce and Jay Z, why would you risk getting busted for that? Yeah. That feels like pretty career ending. And I mean, it's so it's so fucked up because you see the mental math, right? When you like step away from it and you're like, oh, they're putting together that like to do a surrogate is unnatural and therefore it's like akin to trafficking. And so let's just like invent this scenario. Um, anyway, listen conspiracies are conspiracies please stay in touch with me about red you guys the whole the whole week I want to hear from you <laughs> I don't think Taylor's gonna be mad at you although yeah I mean did I say that every time I like tweet something kind of questionable about her, about her that's from a place of love but I know is like on the borderline and exactly the kind of thing that will keep me out of every secret session until I die despite you know <laughs> not even not the fact that I'm 37 as of this recording but you know like I just am I'm realizing I'm I'm never gonna go do something like that partially because every time I tweet something like that I get one quote tweet from a private account <gasps> and I know it's that bitch Taylor I know because I'm a verified <laughs> being verified is actually hell I'm too much of a pussy to shed myself of the blue check and I'll admit yeah. that, but being verified is a punishment. And I, the way I use Twitter, it is. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. <laughs> it is a bit like being like, it's like being pulled up to the front of the class always, even if you like have nothing to say. It's well, like everyone's also, looking at you because they're like, say something blue check. Go on. Yeah. Well, so it's like, two, it's twofold because Part of it is that, you know, not everyone uses Twitter the way I use Twitter. So I don't realize that so many verified people only deal in the verified tab. Mm. So like that's what happened with me and KFC. We will be getting a bar stool later, by the way. But like KFC, when when we had that war, which led to me making the most iconic cameos of all time and me really turning everyone's frown upside down. <laughs> He only called me out because I'm verified. 
because this guy is not looking at his retwe- like retweets from all the fetal alcohol syndrome people that follow him. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. But anyway, all right, this next story. Chris Pratt. <gasps> yeah. oh i hate this so much i hate everything about this so much i forget about him what happened to him because i adore anna faris i think she's so sweet and very funny and irreverent and i and and i sort of had really not very much of an opinion about her other than i thought she was very funny and very talented as an actress until I heard her podcast. And then she just read to me as just like a very easygoing, like chilled out, kind of a stoner, like just quite a sweet little normal stoner individual. And like I was very like, very okay. grounded even for Hollywood. Totally. Like she's like, she seemed like someone you could just kick it with and have a really, and have a really chill time. You know who she's kind of like? She's yeah. like a, a beta pink. <laughs> You know, yeah, how, like, yeah. Pink lives in, like, the neighborhood she grew up in and sort of, like, a normal house so that her kids grow up normal. Like, yeah. you know, Pink is obviously an alpha. But I feel like Anna Ferris is a, like, a, a beautiful lighter shade of that. Yeah. And she does have, like, she gives me sometimes very, like, shades of, like, a young Goldie Horn sometimes in her dumb blonde like funny irrelevant screen anyway like the house bunny is a masterpiece and I think it should be treated as such and when she was married to like you know good old funzy chubby Chris Pratt seemed like a match made in heaven but as we know he got all jacked and jacked into god and then (laughs) (laughs) he plugged himself into the mainframe and um (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know what that means (laughs) No, and now, and now it's, it's actually very it's it has it's multi-meaning <laughs> because he did plug himself into the main frame meaning like leading male frame you know like he became one of those lead guys and lately he can't stop being a lead guy like <laughs> to the point where it's like definitely backfiring I mean I think people have been ready to be actively angry with Chris Pratt for a while yeah. But then the fact that he was cast as both Mario of Mario and Luigi, my boyfriend Luigi, <sighs> and then Garfield, which is like, like, first of all, I don't think anyone should be voicing Garfield. Garfield's fine. <clears throat> leave him alone. There's, he's the perfect animal. Just leave him alone. Okay. He doesn't need to. But then this guy, this all American Christian guy that like literally does Instagram lives in like a faded American flag sweatshirt. How (laughs) embarrassing. Like he's for the people. I don't know. He's also one of those guys that like I maybe know him most from gifts. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like that sort of like hurts him. But he he does feel like like a Chris Pine or something where it's like I have no idea who that is. Like I would be in a room yeah. with them and you you would say he's famous and I would be like, "Okay, I guess." Like maybe. <laughs> you know, or are you pulling my leg? I wouldn't know. But yeah, he was like the chubby guy on Parks and Rec, which I think bought him a huge pass the way that I almost say that J-Lo 
a lot of the goodwill she's gotten is because she played Selena because we love Selena. Right. And so right. he plays this goofy guy on Parks and Rec. Everyone thinks, oh, you know, Anna Ferris is so chill. She wouldn't marry like a douche. And he's so funny on this show. But like plenty of bad men have happened to good women. Oh, totally. And also, I think there's something really intoxicating about like if you've always been seen as like chubby and funzy, kind of soft around the edges in the physical and like, you know, in the sort of existential sense that you're sort of unthreatening and then if you go through a physical transformation it's really what happens to you because we live in a culture that's so deeply fat phobic and praises weight loss at at any for anything doesn't really matter if you lose a lot of weight because you're on work whatever we just praise weight loss that when you start to like absorb that reinforcement that positive reinforcement you start to believe your own hype and it's really hard to make that transition and not and not lose, I think, a sense of your identity when you just become like fuckable. One person I would say has made that transition really kind of beautifully, I think, is Adele. Because yeah. like she's managed to like still be deeply beloved and lovable and herself while kind of like transforming into a version of fuckability that like the mainstream thinks is more acceptable I think Adele's beautiful she's always been beautiful she will continue to be beautiful she's a beautiful soul and she's acknowledged her weight loss and I think in a quite healthy way which is she's just like I'm still me I'm still Adele I'm just a bit thinner like you know it's just that like she's she's still the same she still speaks like a fishwife (laughs) but the (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean like you just see her on a doorstep going all right darling <laughs> but yeah there's something I don't know I I get the I get the impression that like Chris Pratt started like training because he was paid to do so for a role and then really liked the reinforcement he got and then believed that I don't know believed yeah. that he was something that he isn't and inside him there's still a fat kid and uh I hope that fat kid eats him Um, well listen I will tell you to that point like it goes all ways right like I had a major weight loss transformation at one point in my life when I got anorexia so like I will tell you it's crazy because the way that people treat you is so heartbreaking like it is so heartbreaking Mm. to fluctuate in your weight and see how crazy like your treatment is as a human being. Like I felt like, you know, I gained like not much weight at all. And the way that I was treated was so different. And Mm. I was like, I was like very average sized before. Like, I mean, I think I, I don't know, I guess I still am, but like, it's just weird. People treat you very differently and it's fucking heartbreaking. But I think for him, this is his first time slimming down like this. And so he's just reaping all the bennies and Mm. yeah, he posted, he, after he got divorced, he married Catherine Schwarzenegger who he met at church, the daughter of Arnold and Maria Shriver. He is like, you know, I'm not sure if he really leaned into the Christianity later in life. I have kind of a hard time believing that Anna Ferris would be, married to like such same a card carrying Christian same and we talked about this a little bit where I think sometimes that happens you know like your average 
person reading a tabloid would say like, oh, Hollywood was evil. So he became more Christian. I think some people just like lean into this because they feel alone, which is like not is it's healthy, but it's just a lot. So he posted a picture on Instagram. This is probably like four days ago now. And he captions it. It's a picture of his wife just like smiling at him on the couch. And he's like looking directly at a camera. And she just, you know, I don't know. I actually don't even see this to be the connection that he thinks it is. Mm. Did you did you get like, wow, she's so in love with him from this picture? No, not necessarily. She just happened to be a bit. The thing is, it's it's interesting that he's chosen to post this picture where she's in a very past like there's a very passive gaze to her and he's like he is visibly larger than her in the frame he's taller than her in the frame so she sort of is I'm sure this was a out of a series of many photos some of which she was looking at the camera some of which well you know whatever and this to pick the this Christmas and, photo shoot yeah uh, to pick this and build this narrative around it I think speaks volumes about him she, he may she you know she may have just looked up at him for a moment, but it's kind of, I, I think it's kind of gross that you then build a story about like your wife kind of looking at you of adoration and the way she sees you and all the rest of that kind of shit. It's like, I don't know, maybe she was just gassy and she just happened to be turning her head away. I don't know. Right. Well, okay. So like my, my interpretation of this photo is that he was going through the proofs, like the ones that they obviously weren't going to use for the Christmas card, but like still really great couple photos or whatever. And he thought he looked really good in this one. And so that's the main reason why he chose it is because he liked how he looked in this picture. Yeah. And then he sort of crafted a narrative around what she's doing with her face. So he writes, guys, for real, look at how she's looking at me. I mean, find you somebody that looks at you like that, you know? We met in church. She's given me an amazing life, a gorgeous, healthy daughter. She chews so loudly that sometimes I put my earbuds in to drown it out, but that's love. She helps me with everything. In return, periodically, I open a jar of pickles. That's the trade. Her heart is pure and it belongs to me. My greatest treasure right next to me. I'm oh, sorry. My greatest treasure right next to my Ken Griffey Jr. Upper Deck rookie card, which if you know, you know is saying a lot. It's her birthday in about six weeks. So if I don't get her anything, I'll tell her to look back on this post. Love you, honey. Too I hate it. I, I hate it. I hate everything about it. I hate everything about this. Makes my skin crawl. It's I loathe it. It's disgusting. He doesn't say anything really about her and the way that he loves her that is not in the context of the way that she loves him. He does not sing any of her virtues as an as a autonomous human being. And then you get into all of the other fucked up shit, which is that the only thing he does is open a jar of pickles. He doesn't help around the house is what I'm reading from that. He doesn't yeah. have any like involvement in like running of the house. And then to like put himself on fucking blast, like put himself on Main Street and basically be like, I may forget her birthday because I'm wah, wah, Chris Pratt. Oh my God. I'm such a dumb <laughs> girl. Like, it's like, shut the fuck up. I'm I hate it. Have an assistant who can go to Hermes and get her like a beautiful bag or something, bud. But here's a little reading comprehension thing I want to just point out. Okay, a lot of people are saying like, oh, oh, she's just as important, uh, like, or you know, she's just more important than your upper deck rookie card or whatever. No, he's saying that like 
the Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck card is number one. Yes, that's what I got out of that. And she is sliding in right next to it. So Mm. this is like, I don't know. I know that's supposed to be a joke, but it's just one, it's not funny. It's hack. Two, it's disturbing. Like more than anything, it's disturbing. It if it would have to be a really fucking funny joke. It doesn't have like the Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively no. to it. No, it does not. It does not have any real self-awareness. This this also reads to me as like <laughs> this is like Christian girl autumn posting a picture that would go on her like MLM page. Like where she'd yeah. be like, guys. This is my husband. He's like, you could flip the switch on it really quickly and she'd be selling you some like really ugly leggings. Well, if you she see that it. slightly crimped hair. You know that yeah. he's bringing us Monet. Monat. <laughs> I was like mortified to find out that it was pronounced Monat. That was like crazy for me because I mean, why wouldn't it be Monet? Monet. Yeah, it should be Monet. Anyway, that's all the it's consulting disgusting. I'll do for you guys. But- Popgrave then points out, gotta love Popgrave. Do you love Popgrave? Of course I love Popgrave. Okay. Well, Bulgaria, if you don't know about Popgrave, you guys have to get- (laughs) We're going to put you onto this. (laughs) Guys, listen up. Popgrave on Twitter. So, Anna Ferris trends on Twitter as people show her love after ex-husband Chris Pratt praised his new wife in an Instagram post saying she she's given me an amazing life, a gorgeous, healthy daughter. Anna Ferris has been open about her son Jack's health issues. So one of the things that's sort of maybe lesser known about their divorce, because I would say there's not a lot known really at all, Mm-mm. is that he divorced her because apparently he wanted a much bigger family and she was afraid to have more children because she gave birth to her son Jack premature and I believe that he might have had some sort of like brain damage as a result like he has he's has some some special needs you know right as many preemie babies do and this felt like I don't know this felt major foot and mouth to me Mm. I didn't think that he would take such a direct swipe at his son. No. But in a way, I kind of, I feel like it's this weird subconscious thing. I agree. I think it is subconscious. Definitely doesn't feel intentional. But I think, I I think he probably doesn't have the foresight to be able to read something back. Obviously, clearly he doesn't have the foresight to be able to read something back and see like, what the what the fucked up things are that the internet will read into it like and there are so many points in that whole post that can be picked apart and and dissected for hours days months years and so the the healthy child thing is just one in a slew of comments but I agree I think it's probably a subconscious thing that he has a a gorgeous healthy daughter I mean it's one step away from the word perfect she gave me the perfect daughter right right And, like, healthy is something that I think that you're supposed to say Mm. in some ways. Like, you're supposed to value that above looks. And she's still a baby, so it's not like she has a personality. Like, you can't be, like, my my super smart infant. (laughs) Because they're all stupid for a very long time. (laughs) They're big fucking dum-dums. They don't know anything. (laughs) But, yeah. Like, basically... 
he went on to feel very sorry for himself. Before we get to that, we should talk about his mother-in-law, Maria Schreiber. So people always talk about like Republicans in Hollywood and how like there's none except for like Stephen Baldwin and Scott Baio and Dean Cain and people that have been cast <laughs> to the side, you know? But guys, what about Chris Pratt? Yeah. Garfield. Yeah, it wasn't, doesn't, doesn't Chris Pratt's brother, isn't he a cop? And didn't he go and storm the Capitol? Is, am I misremembering that? No, but let's go with it. I don't know, but let's go with that as fact. I think I, Chris Pratt's brother is a cop in some like, in some town somewhere. And he had links to the storming of the Capitol. I don't know if he did it directly or he was involved in it, but that's what I know of Chris Pratt. So he's been leaving us breadcrumbs that he may not be an entirely great person for a very long time oh i mean i think he left a a fat loaf when he (laughs) (laughs) when it was revealed that he follows white supremacists on oh yes yes it's all in the family it's all in the family yeah and listen you know sometimes you accidentally follow a white supremacist you don't know maybe (laughs) like maybe things have changed over time since you first followed that person I'm not trying to buffer in case I am following one, by the way. I'm just saying that like in this day and age, sometimes we're accidentally following someone who we don't agree with in a very fundamental way. Yeah. This is, it seems much more intentional with him and, and very like, fuck you in a way. Um, it's kind of, it's just, to me, it's like egregious that everyone acts like there's no Republicans in Hollywood, no people that would be on this, a different page than one another. Meanwhile, like half these people are not vaccinated and some of them follow white supremacists on Instagram. So Maria Shriver, you know, she piped up. We have a TikTok here from Kelsey Likes Things that goes into all of her various statements. Great question. If you didn't know, Maria Shriver has been working in journalism since like the mid 80s. And on the day of Pratt posting his IG caption, uh, Shriver put, I can't agree more. Then the day after, once all the drama starts rolling in, she posts, This is so sweet. Now show us how you look at her. And yesterday, Shriver comes in with a full-on damage control post. These comments on this IG post have been ruthless. How's Jack? This appears to be a hostage situation. And my personal favorite, where does your other child fall in line after the baseball card? So... Yeah, the third day that what she had posted was, I want to remind you today what a good man you are, what a great father you are to Jack and Lila. And and there's a weird space between and and Lila. So you know she did a little deleting. She did a little rephrasing Mm. there. And then she goes, what a great husband you are to Catherine. What a great son-in-law you are to me. What a no punctuation on this. What a great sense of humor you have. I love you, Chris. Keep being your wonderful self. Keeping your wonderful self. Rise above the noise. Your kids love your kids love you. Your family loves you. Your wife loves you. What a beautiful life. I'm so proud of you. XO. I mean, this is so that's so messy. Like, does she not know she can delete? Like the the multiple, the roller coaster of narrative. Mm. that exists on this post is wild Mm. her point of now show us how you look at her I mean it's it's uh that for me like my the thing that like set the hackles up on on uh, on the back of my neck is just that it's all about him and it's all 
it's all about the way he's loved. Like if someone's like, what do you, what do you love most about your husband? I was like, the way he loves me. Right. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. Like, it's so, and then and, and she's clearly stepped in and kind of gone, okay, well, like, here's like, here's the default response. Love this, whatever. And then it's that. And then, and then kind of the final bit of damage control. But the comments are wild. <laughs> like people are wilding in those comments. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very triggering for some people. And I think also like, I, I think in general, people are very over these false displays of affection. And that's very much what they read as, you know, and it, it's uncomfortable. And I think also people have been waiting to turn on him for a minute. Like, yes. as I said, he is already on the shit list of a lot of people for, you know, being cast in these beloved roles in a way that feels like unwarranted. Mm. I mean, Garfield, you would think they would have gone with someone who's more like inherently funny and, I, I guess I don't know enough about Chris Pratt to say whether or not he's like good in a comedy role. Obviously he started doing that, but I just feel like, like what about Chris Pratt is the essence of Garfield? <laughs> this is fat erasure and I will not stand for it. Right. Exactly. Maybe on Parks and Rec he had Garfield attitude, but I don't know about that anymore. Mm-hmm. So then he posted a, well, like a masturbatory video about Jesus and how sad he was on his Instagram. And this is just further fueling the major concerns about kind of borderline evil narcissism. Good morning, everybody. I woke up, well, I went to bed last night really kind of upset and depressed and woke up feeling crappy. And I didn't want to work out. I didn't want to. I knew, though, that if I put on my my Christian music playlist and I got out in the woods and ran, that I'd feel better, but I just didn't want to. And I did it anyways, and gosh, was I right. It felt amazing. I got out in the woods, got my blood pumping, and God is like, who sat down there right next to me? I actually, I say this as a guy who, I don't get emotional that often, but I actually got emotional out in the woods. I was out in the woods on this run, and I just felt like there was another in the fire standing next to me. And that was uh, the song, actually. I don't know. The, I think that's the lyric in the song. I don't know the name of the song. It's a really good one. But that moment, it really captured me. And so I just want to say all glory to God. And if you feel down today, maybe get a exercise and maybe listen to some good worship music or get the word in because it, it really helps. I mean... That's a whole lot of nothing. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that means. It seems uh, like an ad for his church. For God? Oh, God. Yeah, well, I mean, it is an ad for God. I mean, that's for sure, 100%. But yeah, I mean, if okay, are you getting Jax Taylor from this? Oh, that's a good question. Because it's very like, oh, you know, I was feeling sad, but I decided to push myself to work out. And I heard this really meaningful lyric in my Christian music. And I don't know the name of it. And it's like, do you, do you think maybe you want to look up the name of the song and shout out the Christian artist? You fucking idiot. <laughs> you stupid fucking Dumbo. Like, why don't <laughs> just makes me so mad. <laughs> It's so fucking self-serving. Like, it's so self-serving and so vague. And it feels like what a person who doesn't feel very much would feel is like an accurate representation of showing caring. Right. I also, I think it's interesting we've glossed over the fact that he was out for a run and God sat down next to him. 
He did yeah. say that with, with a, it was very throwaway. And I'm like, wait, 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 go back to that last bit. What happened? Right. Well, cause like part of you, right. The normal part of you that's like, I mean, I don't know. That's like not actively religious. You think to yourself, I mean, even growing up Catholic, I would have thought to myself, that's insane. Why would God sit next to me? That's like only an insane person would say that. Like certainly there's other people in the world that are worse off than me, Molly McAleer, but certainly if in this scenario I'm Chris Pratt. Yes. That's like that's the message of your of that religion is that whether you are you are a starving boy in a village or famous Hollywood actor soon to be Garfield, Chris Pratt, <laughs> God has five for you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As long as you put on the right playlist, though. Yeah, it's like, it's just the vanity of it. It feels like he, like, you know, I had to take a run. Like, it just, I feel like when he was the chubby guy on Parks and Rec, he wasn't taking runs. No. And he's now a guy that runs. And there is nothing more into, like, I know people that run and I don't hold it against them. But he's now, he he's now the guy that runs. And now you have to know about the fact that he's the guy that runs. And there is nothing worse for me than someone who didn't run who then began running, who can't stop telling you about running. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, like it feels like his self-worth now, right? Like in his mind, he's probably thinking this is how I got the life I did. Right. Because I invested in myself, you know, and it's all this like talk that really like after your first six months of being at the gym, you should grow out of. Right. It's like toxic prosperity gospel stuff almost as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. He does have really lame youth pastor vibes, right? He really does. That was like my favorite comment was just like, this has got youth pastor vibes. And like, this is not to say like, I'm personally not, you know, non-religious. I don't hold it against anybody whatsoever. But I would say it does make me it does make me a little bit uncomfortable that he's using this as like a buffer to deflect any form of valid criticism. Totally. That it's like, I'm good with God, so I guess get get over it, you know? Like like to not to not like be not to be not to be able to absorb what is what is actually perfectly valid criticism. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this it's like I don't think it's a long-term plan that's going to hold up very well for him because, you know, the majority of people who watch his films are, are not Christian, you know, right. yes, it's like the most popular religion in the world, but like it's, that's going to be a turnoff for a lot of people. And it's like not the best, it's not the best plan. Maybe, maybe okay. in his personal life, it seems like it might be, but to respond to criticism like that period, and then to respond to it with like, you know, sort of like this righteous religious bullshit is really, it's obnoxious. It is. But anyway. And also, he doesn't get to be fucking Garfield on my watch. No. No, something's <laughs> going to have to happen. Yes. He better, he better tread very lightly. This is just a good tweet that I saw that I think perfectly sums up why Chris Pratt probably is not the best person to be doing this. It was from a person called Amber on Twitter, and she said, Chris Pratt is erasing every animated Italian. First Mario, now Garfield. Who's next? Has that man ever eaten the lasagna? Oh my God, you're right. Garfield, well, I don't think Garfield's Italian. I think he's an Italian food appreciator. 
Well, <laughs> there was much, there's a lot going on in the comments where people are arguing the Italian nature of uh, Italian. So I said, <laughs> she responds, Garfield is an Italian, neither is Chris Pratt. Y'all can't take a joke. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's possible that we can't take a joke. <laughs> it's possible that that's true. But I feel like when you're putting any sort of nationality on a beloved feline when his owner's name is John Arbuckle. Oh, I mean, where did true. he come from? Very true. Very true. I don't know. And I feel like I've seen Garfield in a beret a lot. So he I don't could know. be French. But it's very funny that he eats lasagna. <laughs> and he hates Mondays. Every time I think about the lasagna, it's like such a funny food. It was, it's a stroke of genius, the lasagna. It's, a, it's also my love language is lasagna. That's how I show love. If I really love you, I'll make you a lasagna. And I will like take sausage in it. I well, okay. I do a I do like a mix between a pork and a beef lasagna, and it's a process that can take sometimes up to six hours. But I'm actually working on a lasagna recipe that's going to take an entire weekend, which is going to be a short rib lasagna. Oh my god! Yeah, which is going to need to sit in the fridge for like two days. Before, like the meat sauce is going to sit in the fridge for two days and like sit. And then I'm going to make my own pasta and then it's going to be the best lasagna. And I've been thinking about it for about six months. So when it happens, I'll let you know. That's so um, thrilling. Yeah, I that's what I do. I love the idea of a short rib in a lasagna. Mm. Typically I go meat. I prefer meatless. Sometimes oh. I think the sausage is too spicy and it tastes weird. Do you do? I do. I do get veggie lasagna where I actually use cauliflower like roasted cauliflower and it kind of like approximates the texture of like a minced beef. Um, but I do hmm. that with like okay that and courgette and it has this sort of like really nice char to it and texturally it works and I've snuck it past some vegetarians and I absolutely love it. Wow. Just throwing it out there. Look, it's my love language. I know. You receive a lasagna like, from I, I me. I didn't know. You're I in. can't believe. I mean, we're still getting to know each other. All we're that. still learning so but much. But I'm shocked to learn about this lasagna fandom. This is like my first <laughs> time. Oh wait, can I just share a little personal news before we go into the really uh, disturbing stories? Yes, please do. Oh my god, I'm so excited. So I saw on TikTok this video that was promoting a podcast called soupin ain't easy oh and it's a small account very new podcast I, I don't know that they have a lot of material out there let me look it up but I commented I would love to do a soup podcast and you know I didn't get any response and and that was fine I wasn't expecting it I was kind of just saying that because I it's true I love soup I mean, it's like my favorite food and I could talk about soup forever. I've had to defend my love of soup many times on this podcast with my previous co-host, but yeah, no. So this is, they have, they have like four episodes in their new season, but I mean, it's definitely, they actually do have quite a few episodes. They run about 50 minutes and every episode is named after a different soup. <gasps> oh. And we get to talk about, we get to talk about our soups and they did reach out to me and they said, Hey Molly, like, I don't know if you were serious about coming on our soup podcast. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely would love to talk about soup with you. 
So I'm going on this podcast to talk about soup next week. And I'm really excited. You guys just put yourself out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm a nobody on, I really am a nobody on TikTok. I have like five videos and they all look like just like garage sales. Like they're like so chaotic looking. <laughs> I get like no traction on there whatsoever. And somehow these people, you know, they managed to click on my profile, click through see that I am verified on Instagram and that drove them to want to ask me. So it doesn't matter. You can be a nobody on TikTok. Just voice your voice your wants and needs and eventually someone will get back to you. I promise you. I love Super that. And what, easy. what is your favorite soup out of curiosity? Oh God. I mean, where do I begin? So like <laughs> now I'm sort of in a little bit of trub because I can no longer do noodles, but I was never the biggest noodle head anyway in my soup. I always prefer more of like a chicken and vegetable than a chicken noodle soup. Okay. But I think honestly, I'm a cream of mushroom bitch. Cream of mushroom is a classic. Yeah. Like, a, a, like not, you know, the condensed cream of mushroom. Like I'm talking like a high end cream of mushroom, maybe like a little drizzle on mm. that shit. But then at the same time, I am a Boston girl. I have very strict rules about clam chowder. I will only eat it on the East Coast because I don't trust you guys. I don't trust a lot of you people in this country with the way that you would handle a clam chowder. (laughs) And then I I love a lobster bisque. I mean, I do like, you know, some, some fish representation sometimes in soup but mostly you know I'm, I'm a real I love a broccoli cheddar that's like crazy have you had a broccoli in Stilton no what's that Stilton's like a blue cheese um from my no. country and it, that's from broccoli and Stilton's probably my favorite soup oh my it's, god I've never yeah. heard of that in my life that's it's crazy cr- it's crazy if you like a broccoli cheddar and you like a cream of mushroom like I'm just thinking like texturally and flavor wise what you might be into a uh, yeah, broccoli and Stilton might be the one. That, and I mean, obviously you can't have the crusty buttered like cob roll with it because of the gluten, but that, oh. And also when they, um, I've had it where it's been like in a hollowed out like cob of bread and they pour the soup in the middle the of the bread. bread you know? mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, bud, that's it. See, for me, the bread bowl, it's never appealed to me because... I just don't know. I mean, maybe that's the part of me that my body was telling me I shouldn't have gluten my whole life. Yes. Because I yeah. never really know, knew what to do with a bread bowl. You know, the obvious answer is to eat it, but I just still yeah. never felt right to eat like clam covered bread. Because that's a big <laughs> one back East is the the clam chowder and the bread bowl. Legal seafood, shout out. But yeah, no, I, I, I love it. I saw Progresso has some gluten free ones. I don't know if I told you, I went to Japanese a couple weeks ago when my friend 420 Boobs was in town and <laughs> I ordered a miso. We went to Japanese because we thought, oh, this is like going to eas- most have the most gluten-free options. The miso had wasn't gluten-free, which I'm like blown away by. Yeah, because it's the, it's the soybean, it's the soybean paste. It's the same as because obviously um, soy sauce isn't gluten-free either. You've got to be fucking kidding me. No, but you can have not tamari, but there is a gluten-free version of soy sauce that's actually really accessible. Yeah, no, tamari is gluten-free. Yeah, yeah. So I I was like cooking with that randomly before then, but I didn't know I couldn't have fucking miso soup anymore. That's my hangover cure. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a very sad world when, I mean, the bread thing I know we've discussed is like kind of not a big deal to you. Like you can make adjustments and like find your way around, but it's the sneaky gluten that'll get you. Yeah. Hey, Bulgaria, what kind of soups do you guys eat? <laughs> I was wondering that. I just got up for a minute and I, I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder what my friends in Bulgaria eat for soup. I mean, Tell me, I would rather find out organically than Googling it because sometimes no, on yeah. Google, it's just not the truth, you know? I agree. Fake news. So yeah, Travis Scott and the Astro Fest, Astro World Fest 2021 disaster. This is a rough, rough story. I don't know about you, but I've definitely been spending the last day or so kind of Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's There's been a lot of kind of first-hand accounts of what it was like to be there in my social feeds. And it is kind of harrowing to watch to watch various parts of this unfolding from like every which angle. Because of course everybody's got a phone, and actually when you when you look out, you see like the sea of just people with their phones in the air. It's just, it is a deeply tragic event, and now we're just kind of like going to be endlessly reliving it for a little while as more and more of these videos start dropping. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen. I think one thing I didn't really understand is how big Travis Scott is. Mm. Because I know that it's always a lot of hype around him. I know that when he had his McDonald's meal, I think he was the first to have one. It was crazy. And I guess I more recently remembered that he did a Fortnite concert, which means that he has a lot of very young fans as well. But I kind of never really knew outside of Astroworld if his career was still popping in the same way. Yes, I think I can name two Travis Scott songs, but I am 34. I'm sure I've heard more, but I can name two. Yeah, and so he does these Astro World Fests that are like, I think it's like a recurring thing. When I was going through the hashtag on TikTok, I was seeing videos from May. I was seeing videos from it seemed like 2020 there might have been one after like in the midst of the pandemic or whatever but this right. one was the biggest astro fest that he had ever done this was in Houston and they rented a field that you know I have a friend in Texas who said to me like this is crazy that 50,000 people would be at that venue and oh, it was wow. like no it's actually way more than that and then 
the event got even crazier because Travis said, anyone who wants to come feel free, like jump the fence. And that tweet has since been deleted. But ultimately what happened was, you know, there was like sinkholes created in the crowd. And it's a lot of people moshing that don't know moshing rules and moshing etiquette, which is a real thing. And I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it is a real thing. It It is an art. It's not meant to get people hurt. In fact, like there's actually in a proper setting, there's a lot of like respect and trust and people picking you up off the ground and teaching you how to do that. And that like is much more popular and sort of like the punk hardcore and even ska scene. I Mm -hmm. was seeing some cute Reddit exchanges about that. I even posted one to our Twitter, but it's true. There is an etiquette to it and it's not something that you want to like copy just for the vibe, right? Because there's a lot lost in translation there. And it feels like something that Travis Scott really encourages while not sort of preaching any of the ethics. Yeah, no, (laughs) I totally agree. I totally agree. I like, you know, I grew up and I listened to a lot of metal. I went to a lot of metal shows. And as like, you know, a five foot two woman, and at the time, a five foot two child in spaces where there were a lot of like large sweaty bodies, like ramming themselves into each other. There was a, there was an etiquette and there was a sense of community and nobody was really there to get hurt or hurt other people. It was, there are sort of unspoken rules that you kind of buy into. And of course there's always assholes, there's assholes in any fandom and any music genre, whatever it might be, but like there is a kind of um, a mutual respect when you when you go to certain kind of gigs and concerts, I would say. Right. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with preaching, like, raging yeah. in the way that Travis does. I think that that's actually, like, a very – Especially when you're young, you know? Like, that sort of outlet is so important for you to have. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching people that, but it there is something wrong with not also like providing some sort of like rules and education in a gentle and fun way. And, uh, you know, listen, I know of Travis Scott mostly as Kylie Jenner's baby daddy. Yes. So again, I, I think that I really underestimate his popularity. Um, and this show was in Houston, which is his hometown, but yeah, 100,000 people were in attendance. Kylie was there. She's obviously pregnant. Stormy was there. Kendall was there. And also we're like, you know, a little bit over 100,000 people who were all, you know, I'm I'm seeing a lot of accounts of people saying that, you know, everyone was like fucked up all day and everyone was dehydrated. And it was just, it was a really long day and things didn't start to get crazy until I think it was the opening act before Travis came on. And once he was on and everyone was sort of locked into their places behind the gate, they, or the barricades, they just, it became a nightmare situation with people just pressing harder and harder to get to the front and lots of people being thrown around. There was a really horrific account who was, that was written by the girl Sienna. We'll post it to our Instagram when this episode goes live, but she and this other guy, I think his name is Aiden. I'm not sure. I followed him today on Instagram too, from our account, but they were the two people that put themselves up 
on the platform and were trying to get security and the cameraman to pay attention to what was going on and to stop it. But I mean, it, it's a nightmare scenario. I, I My first reaction was that I've been to like literally hundreds, like a conservative estimate is 200 concerts in my life, starting from when I was a, a baby. Like one of my first memories is, is being at a Grateful Dead show with my mom and I probably was just about two. So I I actually think music is a family event and I think yeah. that it, it it should be normal. I mean, I've seen babies at Bonnaroo, you know, like camping mm-hmm. out in Bonnaroo. Like it's it's like actually a really great thing to expose your child to and it's like great culture. But I know like the youngest person that died from this, I think was 10 years old. That sounds like a Fortnite fan. Yes. And I'm seeing a, a lot of people saying things like, you know, why did his parents even have them have him there? And it's like, I don't know, because it's been a tough two years. And like yeah. this concert came around in this guy's hometown and everyone was going. It was like, you know, I don't think anyone knew that this would turn into the disaster that it did. And it seems like very few souls who were there are are like cold to what happened Um, I agree most of the people who are pushing back are people that like just can't admit that this was it went very poorly my only thing that I can imagine in terms of like any sort of lack of of accountability Travis might have or like maybe like less his his fault is that this guy does a lot of drugs And like, maybe his brain is fucking fried. Who knows? Yeah. I've seen a lot of very shit takes in the last couple of days as things have started to unfold. One and then one of the shit takes being what, what were children doing there? And as you said, like for, for many families, you know, first of all, you're going to a ticketed event of which there is a daytime fucking fairground. And like, yes, there are adults there, whatever, but you know, it is a supposedly a it's a musical event where supposedly everything's been taken care of. You don't go to that thinking that something really terrible is going to happen. And I could throw it back and say, well, there were children at going to see Ariana Grande at the Manchester Arena when there yeah. was the bombing. So it's like, you, I'm sorry, but you don't set like a, a an 18 plus for every single experience because first of all, kids are going to want to go. And secondly, as a parent, you trust that the things that you're paying hundreds of dollars for the, that the kinks have been worked out and that you have a safe environment to take your children. It wasn't like they were taking them to the bloody, you know, the Gaza Strip. You know, the risk no, for was sure mitigated. Not. Yeah. And Travis is the Fortnite guy to a lot of he's kids. He's the Fortnite guy and the McDonald's guy. And uh-huh. he's Kylie's boyfriend. And, like, you know, you, you would mitigate against that. I think you'd weigh it up as a parent. I think it was kind of fucked up to blame the, the parents were putting their children in harm's way because they were adults that were her as well. Yeah. And I saw another very shit take on TikTok, which was about how one of the people that had died was someone who was larger, they were larger bodied. And they were saying, well, if they had if they had gone to the gym and lifted, they would have been able to lift themselves up. And I was like, are we fucking blaming victims for being trampled to death? Is that what's right. happening? It's like right. the, the, the cognitive dissonance that you need to be able to defend Travis Scott and the organizers and promoters here is like, I'm sorry, 
I don't see it. I'm sorry. I, just, I agree. And if anything, like, I don't know, just using like basic sort of like guesstimation in my head, it's probably more difficult to topple a heavy person in a crowd like that. Yes. Yes. So it just doesn't make any sense. Most of the, so 11 people, I think eight is still being like widely reported, but I, as of today, I heard it was 11 people died because of this. Um, I think it was eight people on the scene and there was over a hundred people hospitalized and over 300 people treated for wounds at the festival um, or some sort of other injury at the festival. This is the second page of Sienna Faith's post. She was the girl who jumped up on stage and was screaming at the camera guy. She goes, more people began to scream for help. Some began to collapse. The music continued. Hundreds of people ripped their vocal cords apart, screaming for help, but we were not heard. There was nowhere to go. My friend was trapped between people on every side of her, and she desperately tried to move towards the rail. It was no use. The screaming intensified as more people realized that they could not breathe. We begged security to help us, for the performer to see us, and know something was wrong. None of that came. We continued to drown. More and more. One person fell or collapsed. It doesn't matter how it started. Once one fell, a hole opened in the ground. It was like watching a Jenga tower topple. Person after person were sucked down. You could not guess from which direction the shove of hundreds of people would come next. You were at the mercy of the wave. I watched my friend be dragged away from me and lost sight of her. I began to realize in that moment that there was a way to die that not many people knew about, being trampled to death. I saw terror in every eye that I met, even the ones that told me to breathe and stay calm. We knew that there was a very big chance that some of us would not make it out alive. I was pushed away from the rail into the crowd of people where I could hear from another direction the shrieks of animals. It was all happening around me. The sinkholes of people. I was moved back towards the sinkhole I started at and was pushed to the edge of it. I sunk my feet into the ground, put my arms out and tried to stop anyone from entering the circle or pushing those already in it. I was shoved further to the ground, my face down at the cold, hard plastic below us. And I saw the body of a man, his face below mine. I lost it. There was people below the ones I could see from above. There was a floor of bodies of men and women below two layers of fallen people above them. I began to shriek. I felt a primal tear rip through me. And I'm not sure if anyone understood the magnitude of the situation below. I screamed there were people on the floor. There was people unconscious being trampled by every foot that slammed into the ground. As each individual tried to keep themselves upright, I saw his face. I became a shield for him. I think he smiled at me. Then I was shoved to the side. I saw more shoes slam against the ground. Exactly in the spot his body lay face up. I couldn't help him. I couldn't help any of them. I didn't stop screaming the entire time. No one knew that there was people below those that they could see. I almost met the same fate. I was losing balance and I asked a man to grab me. He pulled me up and once I righted myself for just a fraction of a second before I was sucked back into the crowd. I couldn't take what I saw. I had to get out. I had to get help. I had to do something. Somehow I went to the back of the crowd at the guardrail. A man pulled me over it. There were some many people. There were some many people just standing there. Like nothing happened. Like people weren't dead a few a few feet from them. I saw the cameraman, eyes glued to the stage, elevated on a platform, a platform that looked directly into the crowd. I climbed the ladder and pointed at and pointed to the hole, telling him people were dying. He told me to get off the platform and continued filming. She says here that while she was screaming at him over and over, 
He wouldn't look in her direction, so she pushed the camera and pointed it toward where I had just come up from. So I actually think this foot that line is very fucking important mm-hmm. because they were filming for Apple. They were live yeah. streaming from Apple, but they were also filming for a documentary or like a live concert musical type thing. And uh, I mean, I just know that footage is going to be very important and be subpoenaed because yes. I mean she, you know, she kept saying like, my biggest regret was that I didn't smash the camera. I'm like, no girl, you did the smartest thing you could do. Mm-hmm. And you got footage of these people being trampled to death. Like it's insane. It is horrifying. The video of her, I mean, of all of the, the video of her is, is harrowing actually, because it, you can hear pure fear and frustration like from the pit of her stomach and then in every other video I've seen it's so eerie even the videos that were kind of posted that are seemingly you're not seeing anything particularly graphic or you know you're not seeing people sort of being resuscitated or carried whatever you can still hear in the crowd like screams of people and it's like pretty universal in the footage that I've seen it's like the vibes are weird they're very eerie there's something incredibly eerie about it there's like a chaos and a stillness and it taps into I think you know probably like my biggest fear is like is dying in a crowd of people and nobody knowing and nobody helping it's like the loneliest form of death I think to be surrounded by people I honestly think that they have to give this girl like a day in the city because it's like not only was she such a hero in that moment and so is the young man and like I hate that I even feel this way but I'm like I'm glad like a young boy saw what was going on and was yelling at people like that's someone's kid like we have to stop this you know like seeing empathy from a young man like that really does something for me but I, I mean this post that she wrote was beautiful like it was wonderfully written and it really is I, yeah. I saw in her profile I went and checked out her thing not only is this girl going to concerts all the time so you know that she you know this girl like knows what's right and what's wrong she goes to festivals constantly like every single picture on her page is from her being on some beautiful travel destination where she's also seeing live music but she's graduating from Texas A&M University in 2022. And I think someone should offer her a job. I think she deserves it because that's a person of great integrity and she's obviously a very talented writer. Yeah. But yeah, I just, you know, I mean, it's it's fucking heartbreaking. I did see, so there's like this thing going back and forth that I would love if you could explain to me because this is where I'm a big Dumbo, big Chris Pratt Dumbo head. (laughs) I am. I saw that TMZ was putting out that a lot of people or some people were maybe injected by some like freak person who went berserk and brought like needles full of fentanyl to the concert. And it sounds like that's absurd and larger than life. But on my group of strangers that I talked to about TikTok and the news, Someone in there said that it's actually been happening in London. Like it's the new way of date rape drugging someone is to inject them with fentanyl. And the Houston police even said that a security guard who was at the event 
got felt a prick in his neck at one point and he passed out pretty quickly after and that they used narcan to revive him and then his neck did show sort of what you would see if someone just injected a a needle into like their raw flesh there was clearly something like that and a lot of people are saying that this is like oh it's so fake it's so obviously fake and i don't understand why people think that like because i think that it could be a combination of things i think that there could be someone fucked up like injecting people with fentanyl or something at this concert because this whole point of this concert was to rage and like participate in mayhem and there's nothing more available than fentanyl in this country right now but everyone's like that's so stupid i'm seeing a lot of that too and i don't understand why it's so stupid do you can you enlighten me because i think it's kind of obvious that that could be like chris jenner press yes yeah that's what I'm, i'm kind of trying to pick through it definitely like so spiking by injection is something that has been in the press in this country for for a couple of weeks, maybe uh, maybe over a month now, as a sort of like, as the new way that people are getting spiked. From what I gather, it is, I think there was an incident of it happening. It might have even been in Nottingham. And, and then sort of more and more people have been coming forward saying, I think maybe this happened to me. What I don't know for sure is how prevalent it is and how and and maybe it was an isolated incident or one or two isolated incidents and now I suppose people who may have been spiked through other means or whatever are are kind of putting two and two together and wondering if it's also happened to them and I don't know how much of it is actually we should be very very afraid of or how much of it is potentially just a bit sort of moral panicky and and a little bit of conjecture and you know, because it's, it's really difficult to prove. And also, like, if you've been on a night sort of drinking and you would get the normal sort of knocks and bumps and bruises, you know, people waking up and saying, I had this really weird mark on my leg. And it's like, I mean, every time sure. in my 20s where I went out drinking pretty heavily, I would wake up with marks all over me, you know, and I don't think necessarily anyone was injecting me. But because it's so, because it's such a delicious story, and I say delicious, like, in the sort of if it bleeds, it leads sense. Like it is, it's a fresh new thing to be terrified about. It's a fresh new moral panic. It's a new thing for women in particular to be like, oh, we're not even safe. People will be just be injecting us now. That I think that it's almost taken on a life of its own as a story. Right. And when I when I had read that thing about oh somebody getting a you know a needle spiked, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That in the immediate chaos, like immediately after this happened you know at astro world there's already you know the the sort of whispers begin to happen it's like after any catastrophic event when you're still trying to pick up the pieces and figure out exactly what went wrong you even don't even know how many people are injured or whatever then there's lots and lots of these little sort of like whispers that can grow into something malignant and my first thought was it's interesting that this has come out as an immediate thing when there's been so much press about it in the UK. It does have it does have that little Kardashian PR spin smack to it for sure. My thing is that it feels like the Houston police are either A re- like repeating that out of school, which feels like incredibly rash and yeah. and like maybe not something that would actually happen. But two, I mean the guard was revived with narcan 
So that means one of two things. He was either drugged with Narcan or he was either drugged by someone with the needle, as it suggested, or this guy was like doing drugs on the job, which is a whole other question because yeah. I think a big thing that people are responding to from this story amongst all the, you know, different varying levels of negligence. I think a huge one for people is that the EMTs they had were not properly armed with supplies. They all had sort of like deer in the headlights looks to them. A lot of people who were there who were like medical professionals who had to step in were shocked by how things were being handled and that the security guards, you know, seemed to be more afraid of the crowd than in a position of being like, you know, I mean, listen, I'm sure sometimes the gym teacher is terrified of the sixth graders, but you have to, you have to pretend. Right. And then you have to think what is like, what is the most likely scenario? Is it A, that somebody, some mad person is running around because, you know, what's the most delicious narrative that your brain is going to latch hold of and, and become fixated on and, you know, whatever it's one, is it somebody running around with the needles or is it two, someone who has potentially taken opiates when they're supposed to be on the job? It's the same as, you know, there's lots, lots of weird conspiracy shit floating around on TikTok about, you know, sort of this being a satanic thing, a satanic ritual, like how Travis Scott was like disassociating and like, you know, this felt like a human sacrifice. And I'm like, okay, well, that's one version of events or is the more likely version of events a concert that people were encouraged to break into was oversubscribed and an artist that you admire didn't care to stop the show and so people were hurt. I mean, what is the most likely scenario? Probably yeah, scenario. I, B, right? I understand. It's very hard for people to believe that things can just be like so skewed by money and power. Yes. That it has to be the workings of the devil when it's just yeah. like, no, imagine like the greediest motherfucker that you know of all your friend's parents. And then take that and give him like 20 more million dollars and also everyone in the world cares about him. That's yes. what happens. Now, I keep seeing this compared to the Woodstock 99 documentary. And obviously, you know, I lived through Woodstock 99 just as like an American citizen, as someone who was watching MTV all weekend when that happened. And you also mentioned that you watched it. And people keep comparing this event to Woodstock 99. And I got to say, like, I don't think we watch the same documentary at all. Mm-mm. Like, the only, yeah, the only theme for me is negligence. It's basically corporate negligence and greed. That's the that's the thread. There you go. Kind it's of. I mean, like the way that the Woodstock 99 story was told was essentially that like to me anyway, it was it was a story about white male rage that reached a peak because all of these people were denied basic human rights for several days and like in you know this is the I do love what a thorough read it was on Gen X because I do think that most of Gen X is my enemy you guys are my enemy (laughs) unless you're in Bulgaria in which case I fuck with you completely but yeah I it was you know it's sort of all like it wasn't Limp Bizkit's fault like they were a symptom of the problem you know I, I I just don't see how they really like actually relate in the same way because as much as you know yes there should have been more water at this concert this was day one of a three-day festival this was the first day like this was this was the day that everything was the most replenished and Mm. and bountiful 
And like, yeah, I'm sure by Sunday, if we had even gotten there, maybe there would be, you know, bigger problems. But to me, they're just not even comparable incidences. And, and of course, Woodstock 99, it was, it was driven by corporate greed, but I'm going to go ahead and argue that this was not about corporate greed for Travis. Yes. He wanted to make a lot of money, but this is a guy who told people to, to sneak in for free. Yes. It's not, he didn't release more tickets. This was about his ego. And yes. that to me is so much more sick and what everyone needs to pay attention to is that this had nothing to do with anything except he wanted to be legendary. And it's actually pretty disgusting to be that famous and be like clout chasing essentially. Totally. I, that was going to be my question to you, which is that, I mean, I've seen many, many takes as well about the the environment which this uh, was allowed to thrive, e.g. this Travis Scott has a precedent for creating, like whipping people up into a frenzy in shows and doing this kind of thing and putting potentially people in harm's way as a sort of like, you know, in a sort of weird contrarian factor. And so when this happened, people were saying, well, I'm not surprised this happened because this is, you know, we've seen the seeds of this happening at Travis Scott's shows and in other ways that he presents himself around dangerous situations. And I'm like, it is definitely the clout chasing. And I wonder if he he wants like notoriety and infamy and wants to build a kind of like or wanted to build a sort of um like a yeah this legend states around like what it's like to see him live because that in turn continues to like perpetuate the legend unfortunately you know it went incredibly sour and in the most devastating way possible yeah and it was to- and I totally agree it's ego it is ego I want every single last one of you hoes to apologize to Tana Mojo, okay? She did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she that's did nothing looking, wrong. That's looking like a dream in comparison. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm truly kidding. I do want to do a TanaCon app sometime. My most, like, in- intelligent purchase in my life was TanaCon hoodies the weekend it was going on. I was like, oh, I got to – I got to get this. Are you fucking yes. kidding me? But yeah, so let's skip to some TikToks. Now, one of the many things that was being circled around was this account from a former producer who had worked with Travis Scott, or like a potential manager type guy. And it was going all around on Twitter. So he decides to say, hey, this is me and make a TikTok and tell some more about that experience. Travis Scott is the worst person I worked with in my entire career in music. Eight people are dead and hundreds more injured after Travis Scott's callous, reckless behavior at Astroworld. And I hate to be the one saying this, but I saw this coming and I tried to tell everyone. The story that DDOT is telling is true. I'm Travis Scott's former manager. I'm the one who had a seizure and I'm the one that he left for dead in a basement in Los Angeles. I originally told my account in 2013, and then it recirculated on Reddit about six years ago. The stories coming out of Astroworld and all the videos documenting the evidence are quite clear, and they align with what I know about Travis Scott. When he sees people in harm or danger, he tends to only continue thinking about himself. And to make it worse, he's been doing this for years at other concerts. I could go on and on about the theft of sessions, assaults, and all the lies that he's told in his career, but the thing that I want you to understand most is this. Travis Scott is the worst person I worked with in my entire career in music. 
He got the loop. I was going to say, I mean, a flawless loop there. Somewhat inappropriate in this context. <laughs> Honestly, really inappropriate and almost made me, I mean, listen, the guy does have epilepsy, so I, I do want to be tender, but almost made me lose my sensitivity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, it feels very much like, okay, this is definitely the guy that Travis Scott passed on as a manager. The seizure thing is is fucking incredible though. And I and I do wonder, I started to realize like when I was re-listening to this, there's like a little bit of a Patrick Bateman quality to Travis Scott in that mm. when I, he, you know, he doesn't really say much. He doesn't really talk much. I mean, he's like, you know, I saw someone on TikTok say in a comment that he's basically like the perfect corporate mouthpiece, which is why he has been so commercially successful is because we don't really know of him as saying anything. But when you look back on like the couple's quiz, he like barely knew anything about Kylie. That was like an iconic meme of him just like not knowing anything about her. But yeah. then also he did an appearance on like Jimmy Fallon, I think. And he was talking about how much he loved like being in musicals in high school and something about it just felt disingenuous mm. but like the one time we hear him talking he's like singing musicals yeah <laughs> but I in a, in a weird way I find him very perfectly matched to Kylie because having recently watched her Vogue 73 questions interview which is a, like one of the most awkward pieces of media I've ever consumed they they would seem incredibly well matched as these kind of like vacuums together, these vessels and vacuums. I don't mean that to be like completely shady to Kylie, but like I, there they was are one and of the same. They're cut from the same cloth. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say that I actually thought Kylie's four, uh, 73 questions or whatever was actually incredibly endearing because she was so clearly so nervous and like there was no chill about it. And it just was like not on par. Like the whole purpose of those videos is to appear somewhat effortless. And like Adele did, a, you know, an incredible job with it recently. Yeah. But Kylie just seemed so nervous and like almost aware that she was out of her league, even for this billionaire. And I don't know, it was just this moment of like true insecurity that existed there. I think, you know, Kylie, listen, uh, I'm shocked. She She very much like... You know, she had no excuse. She has to be sober. She's super pregnant. But she posted a clip of an ambulance in the crowd. And, like, I don't know if it just was, like, surreal mm -hmm. and she didn't think that someone was actually hurt or whatever. Because both of the statements they released, Travis's statements were, like, a mess. Like, he didn't even apologize in his apology. But I think that that was for legal reasons. And of course, it was Chris's birthday, so she was probably, I mean, they probably, like, Corey had to fill in. Yeah, yeah. I've just got, um, I've just got something through, which is a timeline of everything that happened at the, at the concert, um, which we'll link to in the show notes, but it basically states that at, at 9.34 is when, when the, the woman who wrote the beautiful you know, beautifully written post, climbed the camera tower. That was 9.34. At 9.42, that's when Travis stopped very briefly to warn, you know, that we need someone to help. There's someone that's passed out. And then he moves on. Um, at 9.43, the fans begin chanting, stop the show. At 10 o'clock, Drake takes the stage. Interestingly, Kylie and Kendall are escorted out by the bodyguards at 9.45. Wow. So, 
Yeah. So like 15 minutes before Drake takes the stage, they are like taken away from the situation. So it's very fucking clear that there was a, a strong awareness. There of was like some awareness. What was going on. Right. Yeah. So our, our friend Shane Morris wound up divulging some more details. This man has, I mean, is it a grill or adult braces? I couldn't figure it out. I think it was a grill and I think he put it in specifically for the video, which is making me sort of It's a little appeal. I know. I feel so bad making fun of this like epileptic man. Like I really do. It's not cool of me. But I have to remind myself that that's not why I'm making fun of him. No. I'm making fun of him because he's a tryhard and it's yes. like absolutely unfortunate that we have to be real. <laughs> you don't get a pass because of epilepsy, but you do get empathy and it is not nice to have it. However, you can also still be an asshole. The two things can exist at once. Yeah, I don't even know if he's an asshole. It's just like, listen, in the moments when we want more information, there always is someone who steps forward. And whether or not we actually enjoy that person is separate from the fact that there's someone who's giving us some much needed fresh inside tea. Yes, and I do respect the tea, and I don't think he's an asshole necessarily, but I, the endless loop is a is a problem for me, and I can't get over it. Oh, I agree. I mean, it's a little desperado. Okay, it here's is. the clip. I think it's time to spill a little tea, as the kids on the internet say, and I don't mind doing this because Travis Scott is genuinely a horrible person. So in 2009, when I met Travis Scott, I was running a site called Earmilk.com with my friends Trey and Blake. Uh, and I was a junior level software engineer and I had just finished working for MySpace Music. So I worked in the technology side of music. For Travis, what we did was fake his popularity. I programmed a fleet of SoundCloud bots to artificially inflate his play counts on SoundCloud. This told record label executives that he was much more popular than he actually was. We also did the same thing early on with Twitter. You may have noticed, and somebody made a joke about it, that his early followers could make an omelet because they were all eggs. Uh, we used software to enhance his visibility uh, via um, the wrong means. <laughs> So no loop there. This is actually, so this video is what basically gave us the excuse slash like way to figure out a way to cover it on our show. Cause we do like to stick to like the internet slash technology slash very online information. Mm -hmm. And it's just so fascinating to think about how many artists exist because of unfair dynamics like this. Right. Right. Well, there was like, well, there was also legitimate stuff popping off. Like Lily Allen and Adele were like big on MySpace and like deservedly so. And then occasionally you've got the Travis Scotts of the world who are basically, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy there, right? Like how many times have you seen somebody on TikTok and then followed them because they've got a high follow account? You think, well, I must be, I don't, there must be something here. Oh, I'm very adverse. I feel like if I see someone has a million followers, I'm fucking out. <laughs> that actually is a huge turnoff to me. I like a good 4,000 followers. And then when I see like some of my favorite creators, I have to say, I'm I'm that bitch where I'm like, oh, they have like half a million now. Like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> mm. By the way, I put this on our IG, but I feel like we should just briefly touch on it. Noodle, the pug. Of Bones Chugi. Day and No Bones Day was labeled canceled and chuggy 
by Rolling Stone magazine. It's ridiculous. It's so, it's so funny. Like, sweet baby noodle. And does that mean we're all just chooks? I mean, I, I do have chuggy tendencies, I have to say. So that's maybe why. I There's nothing wrong with chug. Like, actually, that's the thing is like the woman who introduced us to chug, I saw a video she made where she was like, I'm so sorry I introduced the word chuggy to people. Like, it was just a word that my friend from high school and our friends from college said. It was like literally a group of seven of us. My biggest regret is introducing the world to chuggy. And I'm kind of like, no, like, calm down. Just because some people don't know how to use it doesn't mean that it's not a great word and a perfect descriptor. Like, chuggy <laughs> is, like, some, things can just be and be chuggy. It doesn't, it's only bad to 14-year-olds. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a slur. But you know what I was thinking? Can you imagine if Noodle gets canceled but Travis Scott doesn't? Right. <laughs> Right. Like what, what kind of universe we'll be living in. And then like, here's another note, right? So bearing in mind that Drake came on stage at 10 o'clock when things were already kicking off, when things were already bad, when Kylie and Kendall were escorted away, Drake came on stage. Drake doesn't seem to have caught any of the flag. This is like the Pharrell Williams, Robin Thicke, like proximity thing, which is like when Blurred Lines came out, I felt like Pharrell managed to like absolve himself of any involvement. Like I haven't really seen a lot of Drake accountability in this. I think that like, it's actually very plausible that Drake didn't know what was happening because he probably wasn't. He was probably in the back, like drinking cognac with like five people's moms and like, (laughs) You know, like, I don't know, kikiing about knitting or whatever the fuck he talks about. Like, he's he is, you know, listen, it's tough for me because I know him as Aubrey from, mm. you know, Degrassi, the next generation. So for me, it's, you know, I do struggle with that acceptance of who Drake is. I don't think it's Drake's fault. I think if anything, you know, like Roddy Rich, who was on the bill way earlier in the day, he's donating everything he made at that show to the victims. And I did, I did see one of the girls on TikTok whose sister passed. She was young too. She was probably like 16 or 17 or something. She, uh, someone wrote in the comments that apparently Travis had reached out privately to the families to pay for the funerals. Right. I mean, as he should. I mean, that's the bare minimum. I mean, listen, everyone is very caught up in like what he's going to lose from this. I also have noticed this with like, like uh, there's a lot of people who are really like highly focused on Alec Baldwin, like going to prison right now. Mm. It's a little, it's obviously a little different, but there's like a lot of people worried about or like kind of focused on like what this means for Travis Scott's money. And also this like odd, (laughs) odd lack of understanding that he is not married to Kylie and has no rights to her money. All these people being like, no, we should boycott Kylie Cosmetics. Like if you think Kris Jenner <laughs> hasn't made it so that Travis Scott couldn't like breathe a penny in. Like, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Like that money is they are it's total church and state there. So yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly think that he will probably lose the most depending on how the charges shake out. Some people are saying it's on Live Nation. You and I were talking earlier. I, I think we both have the feeling that Travis, especially because he's running all these astro 
World Fest events year round that he is running his own like promotion, not as a, not a promotion company, but like an event company. Right. Yeah. And so some people are saying it's Live Nation's fault, but like, I kind of think in that, in that case, like Live Nation really just worries about like the bells and whistles and selling and like a lot of the logistical stuff is actually on the event. I agree. I think that's probably the most likely as far as I'm aware, Live Nation don't do the, the actual factual, the running of the trains on time stuff that goes into making an event. They just deal with the infrastructure around the the money and the uh, ticketing, the attendance, maybe some of the promo, but you know, it's um, when it comes to the, the, the physical nature of how a thing runs, I'd be very surprised if they had their hands in it as much as whatever company Travis is set up or using. I mean, that's yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I think it will end in civil suits also, because I mean, there's plenty of argument for him sort of, I mean, I think he really, put a nail in his coffin when he tweeted to break into the show. And I think that yes. he obviously knows that cause he deleted that tweet, which almost I'm like, dude, don't delete now. Like you're. I've noticed as well, like in a lot of the, in a lot of the, the responses thus far that have been public from both him and Kylie, that the wording has clearly been through a sort of liability filter. Yep. And it's, it's very, it's very clear that there's a lot of sort of careful wording that's going out. So obviously like expressing sympathy, but there's no real admission of regret or guilt because that would basically make him culpable for acknowledging that he was responsible. Yeah. Kylie saying the word fatalities kind of threw me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, that doesn't, I don't, you know, I'm sure she maybe knows that word, but I would yeah. think that that would be like her natural response. So yeah, it was very, I mean, they obviously, Travis is open to a lot of civil lawsuits right now. And I do think that these people, I do, I think that counseling should be available to like literally anyone who was there and wants it. Mm. And I feel like anyone who was hurt should be compensated in some way because you actually are like it actually is a big part of your contract as an artist and as a touring sort of show to make sure that your audience is protected there is liability there you know totally. the venues don't take it on that's why no one's suing the venue totally and if if you've also been sort of getting served the same videos i have which is other artists who have stopped shows because somebody in the crowd has been in trouble I'm getting a lot of that content at the moment. Like ASAP Rocky, there's a great video of him like basically stopping and getting very, very angry and very, very verbal, very, very vocal to like pick these two girls up that have fallen and telling everybody to get the fuck back because everyone's crushing against the barriers. There's a Linkin Park one. There's a Foo Fighters one going around. There's a even an Adele one because a girl passed out in the in the middle of a concert because someone was like, yeah, but you know, how would he know? There was so many people... It was like, here's an Adele concert where there was 95,000 people and she saw somebody basically in fainting and was like, stop this shit. So right. like it, the case against Travis Scott is kind of building, as in, especially when you see people go on stage and tell him something, especially when you see the crowd's eye view, whatever, it, you know, that I think all of these things will also come out when when we when we get into the realm of like, the civil suits that are going to come out like how much did he know at what points did he know and 
when did he choose to ignore his power as the artist where everybody's looking at him on stage to be able to potentially diffuse the situation yeah one thing I kept thinking when I was watching like there's this video of him on some sort of like device that's suspending him above the audience and it seems like he's like looking down into the audience and watching this guy get like hauled away basically Mm. who looks close to dead and I kept just thinking like oh my god if I ever like accidentally become Kelly Clarkson or something <laughs> like I have to wear contacts because if that was me <laughs> I, I genuinely shit. would not see that that was happening yeah and I, this is the only this is this place where I keep coming back to where I'm like is he like just like brain dead like right. is is it possible that maybe he's brain dead and I don't mean that in like a I don't mean that in like a flippant way. Like, I mean, like dead serious. I feel like this guy has probably done a lot of drugs and like it's fair to worry about his cognitive abilities at a certain point. Okay, lighter subject before we then transition into, you know, another horrifying story. The edit party. I saw this TikTok this week for, I don't know. I mean, it felt a little bit like an ad, but it also felt a little bit like a high-scale endorsement of this woman talking about how she met her online friends for the first time. And all of these friends came from the edit party, which is an open 24-hour-a-day Zoom. Every 24 hours, they have to restart the Zoom. But you go to this website, and you can join, like, you know, dozens, hundreds maybe. What's the max? Do you know on Zoom? I don't know. I don't know. I it seems the biggest, like a, a first come first serve vibe that probably yes. if you're like being yeah. obnoxious in the chat or something, you could get kicked out. But everyone is on mute the whole time. That's like the understood rules that no one takes their mic off. And it's just like it's like peer working if you want to. And I don't know, like part of me feels like I don't, you know, as an only child, we both are. Part of my soul doesn't call to that, but it's no. the thing that I really love about Doja Cat. Like it's <laughs> the exact thing that I love about Doja Cat where I'm like, I know who she is. Yeah. Like when they said that she was on this like tiny chat thing and that she basically stopped going to high school so she could sit around in this room with like random strangers, you know, some of whom held troubling views but she just was like addicted to the onlineness of it and it like stimulated her in some way like yeah. I completely understand that yeah. and I can also understand why that would be a disturbing image to the outside world right but like when you're an extremely online person part of it is knowing that other extremely online people are going to be like not great <laughs> yeah it get like when my I had my little career friends like many many years ago some of whom I have now met in real life we used to have these like stick rooms which would go for hours and hours and hours and like some of it was chatting but some of it our cameras would just be on and we would just be alone together and there is like you know for people in the who in the pandemic suddenly became very extremely online which it was not a big transition for me because I was like, well, this is how I prefer to be as alone and socializing through the internet. But I guess like it, this thing has sort of been broadened out. The audience has been broadened out and study, you know, study TikTok is huge. There's a guy who 
goes to some very posh one of the posh colleges within Oxford University who studies at this beautiful library and he just sets his live up on TikTok and you sit with him and well he reads books and it's actually kind of pleasant and calming to be alone together yeah in the presence of that exactly and I'm, and I'm sure it's called the edit party because most of these people are like video editors of some kind mm. and when you're just like in the bay for long hours like that sometimes it's just nice to see that there's like other people like yeah. maybe they'll start you know if you see them all freaking out you know it's like 9-11 the remix or something like that's part of it too I th- feel like when you're like stuck working you can't, you have no sense of what's going on in the world yes and so it's kind of like nice to I don't know like especially when the world was so scary back when this all started just with like in the state of the politics in our country which you know some would say it hasn't improved but I don't know I've been sleeping a lot better at night but yeah you know it it was a very scary time and I can imagine that just like being able to like be at home and be on your own and doing your thing, but like look to a room of 45 people or whatever on a zoom and feel like stabilized by that feels like it probably was very valuable, especially for like that type of person, you know? So Tiffany and I just realized how long this episode is so far. So we're going to do this next story pretty quickly, but Dave Portnoy, I will admit I've sucked his ass in the past, but it was mostly to try and get him on my side in the KFC thing. Like I just wanted, and also truly I do appreciate his business acumen, but that's just me. That's my attitude. But this piece came out in the insider this week behind a paywall, which is a much bigger issue we have to talk about with business insider and internet insider another day. But um, some sexual allegations came out against him. One in particular was a girl that he had connected with online. She was very young, maybe like very early 20s or 19 or something. And she got flown out to Nantucket. She had told Dave that she has like a rape fantasy. And he was like, okay, I'm booking you a ticket. And she flew out and had like a very scary sexual encounter with him. And part of her was like, kind of like afraid the whole time because he was really mean to her and Mm. you know it just was a a scary sexual encounter and she says that she didn't like verbalize a no but like she was very like it you know anyone who was paying attention would would realize it's a no right Mm. and then there was another girl whose older sister like accident like you know used her as bait essentially because she was Her sister was 22. She had just graduated college and she was maybe like 18, 19. And her sister had DM'd him and he did not respond to the sister or her friends. So she was like, maybe he'll be into you. So she gets her younger sister to start DMing with him. The younger sister, once she realizes, okay, she's in, he's inviting me to the house. She starts to say like, oh, I'm just going to bring my three friends or whatever. And he was like, I don't want your friends coming. Because uh, I guess they were also all de- – I mean, it was no chill on the part of the sister at all. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to just hold the sister slightly accountable here. But, yeah, like, you know, she wound up going to his house during the daytime. And he, like, you know, roughed her around quite a bit. And, like, she felt like it just escalated to a sexual encounter in a way that was very scary and Dave Portnoy is, I think he's like 47 or something. I mean, the guy's old. Um, so he, of course, takes to 
Twitter to defend himself with a 12 minute video. He says in the, in the tweet, he's defending my response to the business insider hit piece that has been eight months in the making. So let's just play a little bit of this. He, okay. This is great though. The one thing about this that I I do want to point out that's kind of iconic to this era of apologizing is that he does the David Dobrik and James Charles recent apology thing where he's like, there's been so many people around me, like tell me not to talk, tell me to do it this way. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm just, you know, I just got to be straight with you. And I'm like, what the fuck is this new formula? Like who comes up with this? And then the worst part is, is that they're all doing it. Like this is certainly something that Dave has made fun of probably both of David and James Charles, like for this exact thing. Cause he was, this is the other thing is that Dave hosts a podcast with a 19 year old TikToker who was in the hype house named Josh Richardson and Canadian boy. And like Josh is in with all of them, the Charlies, the Dixies, the, you know, I think he dated Nessa. I don't know who that is, but I just know the name, but like, (laughs) You know, he they're all in that. And so this is giving Dave like even more sort of unprecedented, especially for Barstool, access to barely legal teen girls. Right. Which obviously is his jam. So let's play a little bit of this. Okay, so Business Insider finally published. Uh, the hit piece says it's been eight months in the making on me. Not the normal hit piece, not the normal stuff about jokes we've made, videos we've made, things we've done at Barstool. This is far more serious allegations, portraying me, painting me really as a sexual deviant. Uh, Serious shit. So lawyers have been talking to me, boards, you should say this, you shouldn't say this, you should do that. Listen, I've ignored everything they said. I'm going to do what I always do. I'm just going to tell the truth, shoot from the hip and tell exactly how I feel and where I'm at. Um, no written statements, no pre-planned things, just me being me and it's worked for me for 20 years. And, um, and I tell the truth. Okay. So a couple quick things for those who don't know, Dave Portnoy has had no less than three sex tapes leaked. He's also considered, this was a part of the insider article that was interesting. Basically like when Penn national gaming acquired Barstool in like an insane, unprecedented deal for this like hybrid blog and t-shirt company. They basically kind of put in place a loose system where anything Dave says ultimately can't hurt the company. When Penn bought the company, they, he said to, you know, someone on the team that he basically had five years where he was going to be, you know, forced to work for the company Mm-hmm. But that after that, he was going to go into buying sports teams and other things like that. Like Dave's going to leave Barstool the second he gets to it. And then and then there's also, it seems like a lot of infrastructure where people within the company are basically saying like, don't worry, we'll push him out. Like if he mm-hmm. gets to be too much of a liability, we'll push him out and we can do that. So it's kind of, it's kind of fascinating that Dave like – could lose like the most authentically Dave thing that there is. And like, that is the price of selling to a corporation. I get emails all the fucking time that are like deeply personal from people asking me about something I can put on hello giggles or something I can take off hello giggles. And I'm like, babe, I don't literally don't know 
who works at Hello Giggles, I wouldn't even know who the contact is. Like once you're not associated with it anymore, you're like not associated. And like there was times like after I'd sort of like taken my founder shares and left, like there was times after that where if I had someone reach out to me, I still knew. I mean, one of my best friends was like the first employee we ever hired and she stayed there until they sold. I could still reach out. Like I had, I still had that pull there with those people, but there's no, I mean, you just, when you sell your company, you have no effect on the whole thing that you built. And that's very scary to me. Right. Yeah. And they, and they will often, when there's a big buy, have that, like, have that bit where essentially when you're buying the employees and like the key people and then you have that sort of like period and clause where you essentially are in this weird sort of like gilded cage of like indebted slavery to like them being owned I've seen it happen to other people who have owned companies that have then been bought and then there is that period that you basically have to sit in your seat until such a time that you can break you know the contract is over and you can break that and then you can go and do and say whatever the fuck you want but once you put on those golden handcuffs like you're in your yeah you're in the handcuffs yeah for sure I mean it's it's a whole thing I do want to send you a screenshot of the still that I'm on right now just so you can see Dave looks like I mean I'm being very mean this episode but there's no other way to put it he looks like an absolute penis face I'm going to send you this and you tell me like I don't know if it's Dory like I don't know what I'm looking at but I'm trying to clock what this is he looks like something hold on let's start with the fact I'm not surprised this article came out I didn't know what would be in it but for eight months I've had every single girl that I've been remotely associated with girls I know girls I've hooked up with girls I don't know girls have posted TikToks of me being like hey just heads up there's a reporter digging around basically asking about your sexual habits like has he done anything like dirty with you does he try to get you to do this all like making it sound like the story was already written like they're trying to portray you a certain way i have tons of girls who have documented that that was their conversation with their reporter why is he having girls document uh yes that's a that's a very sinister little omission he made and in, in addition to that Uh, Like, this is exactly the kind of thing he would do, but in a baseless way. Like, what he's accusing this reporter of doing by, like, going around and requesting comment on all these things is, like, the kind of exact thing he would accuse someone of with no basis. Mm. Did you think it was, I mean, this is not a surprising thing, but the way he opens this video when he says the article finally came out, the hit piece finally came out, which obviously indicates that he's had notice of this, that this would be bubbling for, for quite some time, right? And has had actually quite a long time to be able to craft his response to it. Yeah. And, and do this sort of very, like, what he's framing as a very off-the-cuff response. I think we just have to recontextualize as someone who's known this has been coming for a long time, and there is nothing off-the-cuff about this. Despite how, like, casual he's trying to make it feel, like, there is nothing off-the-cuff about this whatsoever. No, I know, and he looks so pathetic, too. Like, he's yeah. in this, like, he's very clearly freshly showered. He's in a dress shirt, 
total penis face. He has these glasses <laughs> on. He's got his hair slicked back. He looks like an old man. He looks feeble, which is like <laughs> not what I think Dave is really used to looking or feeling like. And it's like the way that they go PR with this is like this is why they do the gray sweatshirt, Dave. This is why is because you look like you're going to like a sleazy job interview and like you're explaining <laughs> why you have an arrest record. Hundo P. I'm just, I just opened the phone again so I could have a look at him. <laughs> I don't know. See if you can right. place it, the picture. I'll post it for everyone to, to uh, throw their suggestions in as to what they think he looks like. But I think we're going to wrap it up here because there's so much more to get into and we have links to everything in the comments, but this episode somehow got atrociously long. <laughs> I take nothing back about the Taylor Swift segment at the top. I felt I deserved it. And I want to, yes. once again, just remind the Swifty community, you can always reach out to me. I will always be here for you and check out the new episode of Make It Cute, which is a show on the Solid Listen Network hosted by this amazing guy, Miles, he has my Swifty on, my 18-year-old Swifty who's now a student at Arizona University or something, University of Arizona. Love her. Mackie, Champagne Folky. She's the most underrated Swifty on TikTok. She's like the best. She's going to be on Make It Cute this week, and Miles always does a recipe related to something that has to do with the theme of the episode and he's doing a double swifty episode this week and next week so make sure to check that out all right tiffany we should tell everyone you are going to be gone next week you're going to visit your grandparents i am i am i hope i'm a little bit missed just a little bit just a tiny bit no it's 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 going to be fine i just don't want anyone to think that you are you've been the most recent person to be kicked off the trend lately <laughs> I don't want to develop a reputation. I really want to keep you around. Also, you guys, next week we're going to be dropping an episode on the main feed, a bonus episode that would normally just be on our Patreon because I get to talk to Fluently Forward, who is one of my favorite TikTok creators right now. She does these like great blind item unpacking. And she also is a queen in the entertainment news section of podcasting so it's just like a lot of synergy and i can't wait for all of our bulgarian listeners to go check her out thank you so much for listening thank you and daskadania bulgaria <laughs> all right bye guys bye Shawty that look like a Delta G Every girl in here 10 But it ain't no Tennessee And you might just get some money But it ain't no guarantee Delta G's on the left Delta G's on the right And you know I stay in Texas I don't really like to fight Like we in 2013 Shawty do it for the vine Shawty moving real wet I might have to wind it down Threw the money to the center Now watch it hit the flow Now rag it up Rack, rack, rack it up King, bag it up Back, back, bag it up King, stack it up Stack, stack, stack it up She said, where you at? Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new. Or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods 
and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Rudolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.